0: Good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm the senior pastor here at South Suburban Christian Church. If you're visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you and pray that uh, God's spirit will speak to you. I want to begin by thanking the choir for that tremendous anthem today. Go ahead. I'm going to be reading today from Isaiah chapter 43. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And then I'm going to also bring in... A text from Romans chapter 3. So you can stick your finger in Romans chapter 3. So you can flip to that a little easier. But before we read uh, Isaiah um, 43, I want to read to you the verses just prior to what the choir sang this morning. The law, this is Psalm 19 beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So, with that encouragement from the psalmist, Let us now attune our minds and our hearts to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. To give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now, let me finish by reading to you what the choir reminded us of. And let this be our prayer together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir, for setting the tone for us this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Drew and Austin, for putting together that prayer of confession with the Kyrie. I don't know about you, but I wanted to go home after I prayed that prayer. And it is the perfect prayer to set the tone for today, I believe, from Isaiah. And as we are beginning to wind down this season of Lent, uh, we want to continue asking you this question. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, the fanfare and furor of Jesus coming into Jerusalem begins, and then Holy Week, and we want to really encourage you, if, you can, if you're able, to come and participate in Maundy Thursday. Uh, we'll tell you what that word Maundy means, and uh, Good Friday and why it's so good, and, uh, then we, uh, uh, as we leave the shadows of the cross, we'll head, uh, to the tomb where we'll find the stone rolled away and the tomb empty on resurrection Sunday. So this is essentially the last week that we can ask you this question. Of course, you can ask this question of yourself the rest of your life, I suppose, if you want. What is God inviting me to lay down to be made whole in order to be made whole? What is God inviting you to lay down? in order that you might be made whole. So that's the question we want to focus on. This morning, we read from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, and it is a, a, an interesting book. I, I'll have to be honest with you. When I was a kid, I never understood when the preacher read from Isaiah. That was sort of a, well, most Sundays were a sort of a you know, doodle on my bulletin Sunday, uh, my mother was just happy I wasn't, you know, making noise, so I could doodle all I want. Uh, some of the doodlings were were quite uh, violent, you know, airplanes attacking tanks, those sorts of things. Uh, just be just be aware that the kids that draw war pictures grow up to be preachers. So <clears throat> you 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 interpret that however you need. But even when I got to college and seminary, and even in the first years of my ministry, Isaiah was always a tough. Uh, gospel for me. And if I look at all of the prophets of the Old Testament, my favorite prophet is Jeremiah, which is not a popular uh, pers- thing for a person like me to say. Guys like me should always say Isaiah is my favorite prophet, except he's not my favorite prophet. Jeremiah is. But Isaiah is a powerful uh, a prophetic book, and the book of Isaiah is a, an extremely important book to Christians, and has always been an extremely important book. So I want to share with you very quickly as we get into this a couple of interesting facts. First of all, Isaiah is often considered the gospel of the Old Testament. The gospel of the Old Testament. That's generally how Isaiah has been talked about. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, when you think about the, uh, the, 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 the early church, and the preachers of the early church, uh, the one thing that we see relatively consistent in all of the writings of the early church and into the sermons of the early church for the first couple of hundred years, Isaiah is the most preached on book by the early church's preachers. And that's, that's amazing. Now, if you think about it historically, it makes some sense. I mean, uh, even though Paul is writing... Uh, the the epistles, the letters in the New Testament uh, within the first couple of decades. uh, We don't really see the Bible being compiled or the New Testament being compiled as the New Testament uh, until the beginning of the first century. And even then, there's a lot of differences. Ministers in different parts of the ancient world would choose different books uh, to be a part of their quote-unquote New Testament. It wasn't until... a little over 300 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus that the New Testament that you and I have was confirmed as the New Testament. And so although as the years go on, there is some preaching of the letters of Paul specifically, sometimes the letters of Peter, by and large, the most popular book to preach on is the prophet Isaiah. And the reason we are told that that was the case is because the wholeness of the gospel can be found in the prophet Isaiah's book and his writings. From the promise of the coming of the Messiah to the death that he would have to suffer and the result of that death uh, that he would suffer is all right there in Isaiah. And, and, And if we had time, we could do a whole series on Isaiah, but it would probably take us several years to get through it. But if you would sit down and read all of Isaiah... As you're reading, and you may not understand all of the flowery language. I mean, sometimes I don't understand all the flowery language. You would see, oh my goodness, that, that sounds like the Messiah, Jesus. Oh, that sounds like Jesus' death. Oh, that sounds like the the, the effect of Jesus' death. That is, is that I have been redeemed. My sins have been forgiven. But when Isaiah is writing specifically here in chapter 43, he's doing a couple of things. He is conveying to his readers that the Jews had been freed from slavery. Now, as I was reading from Isaiah 43 this morning, you probably picked up on some of the images that you might have thought, hmm, is he referring to when the Jews were crossing the Red Sea here and, and Egypt's chariots pursued them into the sea, and the waters came down and, and drowned the charioteers and, and stuck the, uh, and, and slaughtered the army of the Egyptians. You would be right. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying here. If you were following along and uh, beginning in, in um, verse 17, the prophet asked the question, "Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior?" You know, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a rhetorical question. The the armies, the human armies, the, the armies of those who view themselves as the leaders, the, the pharaoh, people who think that they can stop the will of God, bring forth the chariots and the armies. I mean, think of the, 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 the craziness of the idea that a, that a group of freed slaves think that they can escape what is the most powerful army on planet Earth at the time the prophet asks that question, and then he follows it up. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. I always liked it when my dad would put a candle out with his fingers. I tried that at 12. I didn't try it again until I was 25. <laughs> That's the image Isaiah is trying to convey. He's trying to remind those who are listening to his prophecy, that God has freed them from slavery. He, he is calling to their mind. He's asking them to remember the stories that have been handed down from generation to generation, the stories that have been, have been copied and written or, and, and have been entrusted uh, to the temple in Jerusalem, to the priests and to the scribes that talk about the might and power of God. Now, there's a whole backstory here in Isaiah, and we can really need to save that for another time. But suffice it to say that the Hebrews have yet again, when Isaiah is writing to them, found themselves in a kind of bondage. Not nearly as difficult and as long as the bondage was that they endured in Egypt, but bondage nonetheless. And it's when trials and tests come into our life, that we naturally doubt either that God exists or that God has the power and the will to release us. Now, earlier in the service, Pastor Michael asked you, uh, as we all ask you, the, the elders, deacons, the leadership of the church, the pastors, to be sure to invite neighbors and friends to church this coming Easter. It is one of the best times that we have to speak into the hearts and minds of people who might otherwise not be able to hear the message of redemption through Christ. And, and one of the best ways to do that is not simply, uh, uh, and I would actually discourage you from doing this, not offering a rational, logical argument for the proof of the resurrection. I mean, that can be done. It's persuasive to some, but it's generally not. What, all that does is get people geared up and oiled up for arguments. So so as you invite your friends to celebrate the resurrection, you don't need to get into a list of why you think the resurrection's true or how the resurrection stacks up with contemporary western philosophy. All you need to do is share your testimony. All you need to do is share what Christ has done in your life. Have you ever thought of the word testimony? Do you know what word is in testimony? It's the word test. You can't have a testimony unless you've been tested. You can't have a testimony unless you've gone through bondage. You you can't have a testimony unless you have descended into a valley in your life and wrestled with the ideas and the fears and the doubts of whether God is real. That's not the sin. That's not the brokenness. That's not the problem. Isaiah doesn't doesn't yell at them for, for, for struggling with these issues. Isaiah simply calls to their memory what God had done for their forebears in the past. Remember when God brought you out of the land of bondage. Remember when God brought you through the Red Sea. Remember when an army was breathing down your neck and when you thought surely your days had been numbered that God crushed the army with a wave of the sea. And then Isaiah says, Remember not the former things. Now that's a troublesome phrase in this text, Because it's not that you shouldn't remember, it's that you shouldn't remember the former things. What are the former things? Bondage. slavery, brokenness, captivity. These are the things you should no longer remember. Why? Because the Bible says we have been freed. Isaiah says you have been freed. Now, this is very important. This is where we're going to begin making the transition. The word that the Bible uses in the original language to denote being set free is the word redeemed. As a matter of fact, in Old English, when the institutions of slavery were still prevalent in Europe, and, well, specifically England or Great Britain, and in the United States, for a slave to be freed, the word that was used was they were redeemed. Now, because we don't, uh, thanks be to God, have the concept of slavery in our own culture these days, by the way, slavery is still alive and well throughout the globe just not necessarily here. And some might even argue with me about that, but we'll save that for another day. So to hear the word redeemed, unfortunately most of us think uh, uh, of the old country preacher sweating and spitting profusely asking you, have you been redeemed? But that's not how the Bible talks about it. The Bible just simply means when it says redeemed, have you been set free? Are you still in bondage? As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't necessarily ask the question only. It also gives an answer, and it says this. No, you, have, you, you, you are not in bondage. You have been set free. You have been redeemed. You are a new creature. Even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of your test for the word testimony, you have been set free. You are not... Without hope. There is another wonderful aspect about Isaiah that's important for us to know is is that when we read the New Testament, the phrases, the words, the quotes, uh, uh, the prophecies that are most talked about in the New Testament from the Old Testament are almost all, not entirely, but almost all from the prophet Isaiah. That is, as the New Testament quotes the prophet Isaiah more than they quote any other book in the Old Testament. And many scholars believe that what is being written here in chapter 43 of Isaiah is specifically being referenced by Paul in his letter to the Romans. So, if you had your finger at Romans, I want you to flip over to Romans. And specifically, if you're taking notes and it's not in your bulletin, but you can write it on the side, not only is Romans chapter 3, most scholars believe, most relying on Isaiah 43, but also Romans chapter 11. So, if you want to go home this afternoon and read Romans chapter 11, for that matter, you can read all of Romans. Uh, Be prepared. Martin Luther read all of Romans and started the Protestant Reformation. Not sure what God will do with you if you read all of Romans. We can only pray and hope, can't we? But in Romans chapter 3, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but I I do want to, to read 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I don't, I don't know if I want to read the next verse. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Now, just before we go any longer, I'm not going to preach on propitiation. But it is in your study group, study guide, Is if you're in small groups this week, you're going to be looking at propitiation. and you, and, and I hope you'll answer the question, does that have... A place in our contemporary culture. Does that is that word even got a place in our world today? And and you can get back to me next week and let me know. By the way, the answer should be yes. (laughs) But let's go through this Romans. Why do we know this is referencing it? Because he uses the word redemption. He uses the word redeemed. The illusion. Paul is speaking to Jews here. Paul himself is a Jew. He he is the Best Jew that there's ever been. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says that about himself. And so when he uses the word redemption, he's calling on the images of being set free from bondage in Egypt. That's the whole purpose of him using redemption. He is referencing the story that Isaiah is focusing on here. And he says, he begins this for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the original language, this would just stun and stupefy you because he's using military terms here. And, and, and this is another problem because of them, God bless them, them old country preachers who just hollered and screamed at you about whether or not you've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But those words sinned and the word fall short are archery terms from the ancient Roman army. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. And the word fall short is another archery term as if you were aiming for the target and you didn't get the bow pulled back far enough and when you let the arrow go, it didn't even make it to the target. It fell short. That's the words Paul is using here. And Paul is saying that all of us have missed the mark. All of us have fallen short, but we have been justified. That is, as we have been declared not guilty. We, we have been set right. Our debts have been forgiven. We have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so that's why I'm asking you to remember this term. We all fall short. Not because I don't think you and I sin, because we do. But I'm hoping that when you and I go talk to a world that either has a negative connotation about the word "sin" and just shuts you off entirely. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm pragmatic. That, that's one of my problems. It, I, I don't Do I believe that all have sinned? Yes, of course. But if I know that the person I'm talking to is going to hear the word "sin" and then stop listening to me, then what good is that? I get to walk away proud of the fact that I held true while that person continues to wander around in darkness. So if I just simply have to use another biblical word that comes after sin, I'm going to do it. We all have fallen short. It's the same word. same means the same thing. Paul uses it interchangeably. We've all fallen short. Have you fall, fell, fell short? I do. My, my wife and I, You know, when you have small kids, the one conversation you and your spouse always have is, what have you done to mess up the lives of your children? (laughs) I mean, Saturday morning, we're sitting in the living room. Kids wandered in. We're saying, get out! And after we yelled at it, we say, what are we doing that are messing up the kids? You have a sense of falling. I mean, as a dad, men... I struggle every day. Am I living a life that is worthy of my wife? Am I the man she deserves? Am I living my life worthy of the title, the greatest and most honorable title I have ever received, the title, Daddy? Am I living my life worthy Of that love and respect. When my children look at me, I can see in their eyes a mixture of love and, well, fear. But anyway, (laughs) I think that's a good thing. I'm not sure we'll get back to you on that in 20 years. (laughs) Am I living my life worthy of the look that they have in their eyes? When my daughter jumps into my arms, am I living my life worthy of that kind of love and admiration? Because I've fallen short. I'm quick-tempered. I get frustrated, I get angry. I'm 50. 50-year-olds 50 are not supposed to have 2-year-old children. We're supposed to have 2-year-old grandchildren that we hand back to the parents. I the only thing I never get frustrated at is being a pastor. Okay, that was a lie that they bought. I thought sure they'd bust out laughing when I said that. They were like, "Well, of course." We fall short in our jobs. We fall short in our life. There's a certain place in all of our lives when we look back and we say, did I accomplish all that I could have accomplished? Falling short is something that we all understand, every single one of us. And that's why Paul uses it. You had a target That you wanted to hit to be a husband or a wife. You had a target that you wanted to hit as a mother or a father. You had a target that you wanted to hit as an employee or an employer or a business owner. You had a target that you wanted to hit as a follower of God. You and I want God to be proud of us, don't we? And there's nothing worse than engaging in activity that you know you'll always miss the target. And that's how life is. We just need to get over it. Except for the fact that God gives us an answer to that problem. Tim Keller, a Presbyterian minister in New York City, tells the story of three swimmers who lived in Hawaii who decided one day that they would swim to Japan. That's a long swim. The first swimmer sets out from the island of Hawaii, headed west towards Japan, ready, fit, able to uh, 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 vision what he's going to do. And he makes it one mile before he's overcome by the swells and drowns. His friend, the second man, he's better fit he's stronger he spent more time in the pool training he's watched his diet even better and he knows that he can make it and so he goes out heads west towards japan passes the one mile mark and keeps getting it until he hits the two mile mark where he is overwhelmed by the swell and drowns the third friend however is a man that is determined that will not be overcome he has watched his diet even more diligently. He has worked out even more diligently. He has the support of his friends and his family. And he embarks on his effort to swim across the Pacific to Japan, and he makes it almost to the Japanese islands before he, too, is overwhelmed by the swell and drowns. Now, you and I in our worldly standards can celebrate the third guy, right? But did any of them hit the target? Nope. They all fell short. And if the goal is to hit the target, it doesn't matter whether you make it halfway, three-quarters of a way, or almost there. If you don't make it, you're without hope. And so God sends us an answer. This, by the way, is the same passage from Romans chapter 3, but it's from a translation called The Message. If you have a friend who doesn't know church words and church terms and is intimidated by the Bible, uh, get him The Message. It speaks in a language that everyday folks can understand. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, God put us in right standing with Himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You know, when I'm with my son in the garage, and we're trying to fix his bicycle. or He's trying to do a carpentry project. You know what I'm most proud of? I'm not proud of the mess he makes of his bicycle chain. I'm not proud of the broken fingers, fingernails and smashed fingers of him trying to use a hammer. You know what I'm proud of? I'm proud when he says to me, Daddy, can you show me? Because it shows humility, character, and integrity. You want to make God proud of you today? Don't keep trying to live a perfect life so that you have earned God's pride. Just say, Daddy, can you help me? What is God asking you to lay down in order to be made whole? Your pride? Your refusal to ask for help. Your unwillingness to admit that as hard as you can swim, you'll never make the goal. Let God make you whole Mm. through Jesus Christ. Mm. O God, Father of us all. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they have been acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.